Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So if you don't mind, I want to briefly start today's show with a little bit of a look back on some unpleasant history. And it wasn't that long ago, and it's almost amazing to imagine just how dreary the scenario used to be compared to the obviously very, very enjoyable times that Georgia fans have experienced over the course of the last year. But do you remember that Georgia lost back-to-back home games to Georgia Tech in 2014 and 2016? And that same year that Georgia lost to Tech at home in 2016, they also lost to, to Vanderbilt at home. Do you remember Georgia getting dragged by Alabama in the rain in 2015? Like, oh, Connor Riley has his thumbs up. He remembers that. He's producing for us here today. Uh, a lot of bad home games. Like, like, there was a stretch there where Georgia was really disappointing at home. And I kind of remember early days of Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Management. We would do this as topics. And one of the things that honesty compelled me to admit on the air here was – I remember saying it almost exactly like this. Y'all, Georgia can't even pretend to be an elite program, a national championship level program, until it starts playing better at home. That, that at the very least, the, the, the next stair step towards greatness for Georgia at the time, and a lot of this predated Kirby Smart, although his first year was obviously wretched. You had the Hail Mary loss to Tennessee there in, in the midst of all that there too. But Georgia couldn't even pretend to be an elite program until it started playing better at home, that you've got to take care of your business at home. Well, lo and behold, you fast forward all these years later, and Georgia's done exactly that. And I think that there's this kind of weird thing where when a program like Georgia is as good as it is, even prior to winning the national championship, Georgia was still a very good sort of top shelf winning program, had been that for, for a few years, just hadn't kind of fi- you know conquered that final frontier. But they clearly were, were, a, were a, a top-shelf program. And when a top-shelf program is kind of humming along and doing what it's doing, I think it has a tendency to make certain things look easier than they actually are. And I think for Georgia, in terms of how it has played between the hedges in, in recent years, I think that's an example of the fact that Georgia's all of a sudden doing something now regularly that it wasn't doing even as recently as a few years ago, and it's making it look really easy, but the not-so-distant past, I think, gives you an indication that actually this isn't as easy as you might think. Georgia's now dominating in games played at home. Our friends over at Saturday on South had an interesting graphic related to this. They put it out on uh, Instagram. I want to show it to you here for a moment. First of all, it's a very pretty graphic, uh, very very nice. But when you look at the uh, teams in the SEC playing at home here over the course of the last five seasons, full credit to where it's due here on Saturday on South on this, you see Georgia joining Alabama as the only two teams over the course of the last five years who've only lost one home game. Now, Georgia lost to uh, South Carolina in 2019. They were a big favorite that day. They lost the game. But other than that, they've won them all at home over the course of the last five years. Only Alabama can say that. Now, leave the graphic up for a second if you don't mind, please. This is one of those deals where you'd think, well, of course Georgia and Alabama do that. Uh, These are great programs. Home games are slightly easier, we perceive, than road games. So, of course, they're going to dominate there on that. Keep this in mind. If you're watching on video, you see this. If you're listening radio podcast, I'll kind of describe it for you. Look at the gap, though, between Georgia and Alabama 
their performances at home compared to the rest of the SEC when it comes to those uh, records in home games over the, la- the course of the, the last five years. The next closest program to both Georgia and Alabama on this is LSU, but they've lost six home games over that span. I'm not great at math, but I can tell you that's an average of more than one home loss per season. Auburn and Texas A&M and Florida, they've all lost seven times over the course of the last five years. Kentucky's lost nine times. Then you get into programs like Missouri, which has lost 11. Mississippi State, which has lost 12. Ole Miss, which has lost 13. Then you get sort of the also-ran programs of the SEC, which have uh, lost more uh, than that, including a program like Arkansas, which, let's face it, in the Chad Morris era was terrible. But nonetheless, in home games over the course of the last five years, a program like Arkansas actually has a losing record. A program like Tennessee is just barely one game over 500. So Georgia dominating in home games the way that it has over the course of the last five years, I think speaks to a stair step at the program's taken towards greatness that is actually more difficult than I think a lot of Georgia fans imagine it to be. And the fact that no other SEC team other than Alabama can even come close to rivaling that level, uh, level of success kind of explains all you need to know on that. Now, I say all this for two reasons. You can take the graphic down, I think. I say all this for two reasons. First of all, as somebody who is a lifelong Georgia fan. A lot of you know this. Like my title UGA, I'm not a graduate from Georgia. Uh, I'm just a big fan of Georgia. Have been my entire life. Started going to games there when I was, you know, just a very small child. My grandfather took me in the '80s. And like one of the things that I have really enjoyed over the course of my time of being a Georgia fan is the way in which I think the home field advantage has just kind of become more substantial for Georgia over the course of time. Now. Why was that maybe at one point in time not true? I, I don't really know. I've got my theories on this, but but I don't have time to kind of get into all that. But I think a lot of folks would say, hey, maybe at one point in time, Georgia just kind of wasn't really known as a house of horrors for incoming opponents, that Georgia kind of wasn't that really intense place to play. But if that was ever true, I, I don't believe that's true anymore. So when you think about the fact that Georgia has almost run the table in home games over the course of the last five years, I think one of the things you have to give a lot of credit for is the way in which Georgia fans have created that advantage for the team when it plays at home. Much more uh, impactful crowd, much louder, much more raucous that I would put Georgia up against almost anything when it comes to game day environment now. So with Georgia winning these games, fans get a lot of the credit for why that is. In fact, you want to go back to last year's Arkansas game. This was ESPN College Game Day in Athens. This was an Arkansas team that's really been really pretty good in year two under Sam Pittman. There was a big high-profile nature to that showdown between the dogs and the hogs there that day. But the Georgia crowd was so intense from the word go that Arkansas really essentially never even had a chance to compete. And when the game was done, Kirby Smart gave credit where it was due to the fans for the atmosphere they created. This is what Kirby Smart said about that last fall. I think all you guys would admit um, they were elite, and we noticed it. And to come out there in warm-ups and uh, coming out of the tunnel, to look up there and see every seat full at a noon kick, um, it's special, special to be at Georgia, and they impacted the game. I thought the first series for Arkansas on offense, uh, our crowd was extremely disruptive. I thought our crowd impacted the block punt in terms of cadence and things like that, which forced a touchdown. So I give the, the uh, our, our, our crowds, our fans, at least 10 points, and that's big. 
I mean, that's a cool statement for Kirby Smart to make that the fans themselves deserve 10 points in this game and 10 points early kind of rendered the rest of the game essentially as garbage time. And if you were there that day, if you watched it on television, you know how impactful the Georgia crowd is. So part of this topic today is, hey, if you're a UGA fan, take a bow. You have helped create an atmosphere in Athens that's allowed the Georgia program to transform itself. Once an underachieving team at home, losing games between the hedges, it really had no business losing. Now that's an extreme rarity. And what's more common is Georgia playing games like it did last year against Arkansas, where intense crowd, a Georgia team that feeds off that, you go out and you watch Georgia just simply dominate the opponents that it's playing. So in one respect, I mention all this to say, hey, Georgia fans, you played a big part of this. Kirby Smart himself giving you credit for that. Here's the second thing. And I know our buddy Connor Riley wrote about this at dognation.com this week, and I couldn't help but notice it myself. A guy named Chris Lowe from ESPN.com has put out kind of like some schedule superlatives of, hey, here's what matters with certain schedules as you move towards the upcoming season, which is now just a few weeks away. And one of the things that Lowe mentions in his piece as it relates to Georgia is of all the teams kind of, you know, sort of in contention the upcoming year. Lowe says that Georgia has by far the easiest home schedule, that the only team on the Georgia home slate for the upcoming year that's likely to be a top 25 team is Tennessee. That game, of course, taking place uh, in the month of November. But other than that, that Georgia kind of has a home slate that sets up really well for. And when you think about a Georgia team that's been dominant at home, playing a schedule that sets up well for it at home, all of a sudden, Georgia has just taken a big part of what it requires to compete here in 2022, and they have made their job a lot easier from the word go. This is just kind of one of those things that's a fact in college football. If you win a national championship over the course of that 15-game slate, you're going to have some really hard moments. You're going to have some really challenging moments, games in which you're in a neutral side against a team that has equal talent to you or having to go into a tough venue somewhere else and kind of come out the winner in somebody else's stadium. You can't win a national championship without being tested eventually. But also, I don't think you can live in a world when you're facing tough tests each and every week. you got to try to find a way to make something easy. And if you're a Georgia fan thinking about your team's chances of contending for the upcoming year, this is one of those things we kind of zero in on that. That what Georgia has working to its advantage for the upcoming year is it has been dominant at home. It has a schedule that sets up well for it at home. And all of a sudden now, Georgia can sort of set its focus and its sights on the games where it's more likely to be challenged. And for the Dogs this year in Sanford Stadium, that's maybe just the one time against Tennessee. There are other moments like the neutral side game against Oregon to start the year where you'll kind of have some focus and some attention. But but Georgia has been great at home games and now looks ahead to a home slate where it can certainly have the opportunity to feast again. So if you're thinking about you know where Georgia sets up to be in December, can it still be undefeated? Can it still be back in the SEC championship game? And it, can it be relatively well rested or at least not you know overextended by the time it gets to a possible rematch against Alabama in the SEC title game? The home slate gives you a chance to do just that. Now, let me kind of at this point sort of slightly shift gears to something else. That while I believe that Chris Lowe is right in that Georgia does have a very favorable home schedule, and as I mentioned a moment ago, the way in which Georgia has played at home in recent years makes that even more true. There is something else about the, about the Georgia home slate that I, or I should say the Georgia schedule overall that I don't think is quite getting enough attention. Like one of the things that I looked at was, 
you know, the fact that Georgia has back-to-back road games in November, you know, that's something that not everybody in the SEC East does, and certainly not something that everybody in the SEC does, is play back-to-back road games against conference foes. But Georgia will do that on November 12th at Mississippi State, and then the following Saturday at Kentucky. And I looked at all the SEC schedules in the league this morning before the show began. There are certainly a handful of SEC West teams that play back-to-back road games that are this tough. One of those is probably Alabama. Ole Miss, I think, uh, probably shows up in that discussion there as well. There are a handful of SEC West teams that could suggest that they're playing a slate of back-to-back conference games that are as tough as those two road games that George will play. But really, nobody in the SEC East comes close to doing this. Of the small handful of SEC East teams that have even back-to-back conference road games, I think uh, Vanderbilt is a common opponent on, on on most of those. You know, if you look at the preseason ESPN, FPI, both Mississippi State and Kentucky are rated within the top 25 of the preseason uh, ESPN, FPI. So while Georgia has a very favorable home schedule, Chris Lowe is correct for saying that, that doesn't mean the Georgia schedule isn't without landmines, at least in some respect and those two road games in november probably an example of this where georgia has a chance to be tested in either either or both of those games at mississippi state and at kentucky so the bottom line on all this just kind of wrap it all up is is that making a push towards a national championship means making things easier somewhere where you can and for georgia it's been feasting and dominant in home games as of late the last five year record stands as a testament of that the home field advantage that georgia's created with its fans stands as a testament of that and doing well at home and i don't want to say coasting through your home slate but handling your home slate gives you a chance to marshal your resources when you really need it and in november with a ranked tennessee possibly coming in with tough road games at mississippi state and at kentucky that's a georgia team there that can turn all of its sights and all of its attentions onto those late november tests where the real story of the 2022 regular season will be told and if the recent past is a guide georgia should be more than ready for those games when they finally occur my name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Presented today by Breda Pest Management, and glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, live on video. We start at 9:45 for our first and 15. DogNation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. That's all across the video platforms. And as a podcast on demand, anytime you want to, Apple, Spotify, we post the show every day at the worldfamousdognation.com. We're also the radio and on Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref. Did I say that already? Well, we are. Uh, and I guess we're just doubly proud for that to be true. A lot of different ways for you to get the show. We just appreciate you connecting with us no matter how you do so. And we appreciate our friends at Breda Pass Management for being a part of the show there as well for a number of reasons. First of all, for the work they do to take care of folks in our uh, area here. And uh, a lot of folks in our audience trust Breda Pass Management for their pest control, for their termite protection, and you should there as well. Now, there are a couple of reasons why this is true. First of all, they're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics, and that's always a good thing. You know, uh, they take care of you the same way they take care of Sanford Stadium and all the athletic venues there at UGA. But let me tell you what's even more important than that. Right now, we kind of live in a day and age in which, I mean, literally everything is more expensive than it's been before. And some of you know this with your own termite company, your own pest control company. You get that letter in the mail, your service price is going up again, and you're tired of that. And I get that. 
That's why you need to make the switch to Breda Pass Management. Because when you do, the team at Breda uh, are going to find a way to allow you to save money instantly on doing that. You're going to put more money in your pocket right away just for making the switch. It's the unparalleled resources that Breda Pass Management has that makes this possible. They can provide great service for you at a great price, and you're going to feel the difference instantly when you make that switch to uh, my friends at BredaPest.com. It's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. You can trust them on that today, and we are happy to have them as a part of Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management here today. And we're going to get Mike Griffith coming up in just a moment. Before we do that, let's go around the doghouse. And I want to talk about quarterbacks here for a moment, and specifically Stetson Bennett, but I want to use a larger point to kind of get there. There is, I think, a lot we hear from Kirby on the subject of quarterbacks and specifically on the Georgia starter, Stetson Bennett. And there is a degree to which all of this, I think sometimes, can kind of sound like, what coaches are supposed to say and Kirby has repeated some of these lines so frequently that it probably loses some of its emphasis with fans who are always listening very closely to what their favorite team's coach has to say but I don't think we should miss the message and there's an example of that last week from SEC media days now a lot of what Smart said related to Bennett being kind of the best player that doesn't get any credit or whatever it was that he said we'll probably get to that topic eventually that's certainly interesting stuff but there was something else that Smart said about Bennett last week that I don't think has actually gotten a lot of attention yet but I do think it's kind of interesting insight not just into Stetson's Bennett Stetson Bennett's rise at Georgia but the way in which college football just kind of works behind the scenes the way in which you kind of earn the trust of teammates maybe earn the trust of quarterback of of of, of your coaches that's a process that Bennett's been undergoing here over the course of the last couple of years. And maybe now he's kind of arrived at the scene on that there with UGA. Let me let you hear Kirby Smart talking about Bennett and kind of the evolution of Bennett now as the Georgia starter. I find this to be pretty interesting. This is Smart last week, media days. I think when you put someone in the role as the quarterback and they're the starter, they immediately get some credibility. He probably didn't have that credibility this time last year. He had not been put in that role. He's earned that role. He's earned the right to start. Uh, he's embraced it. He takes that responsibility head on, and he chose to come back. You know, after winning a national championship, said, "I want to go do. I want to go do something special. I want to go play football. I want to enjoy the game." I think it's. Uh, I think it's just kind of who he is. I think that's really interesting from Kirby Smart. And I think it helps explain why sometimes there's a little bit of a division in terms of the way that fans see Stetson Bennett compared to the way in which Georgia players and coaches see Stetson Bennett. And I think that one of the reasons why the Georgia players that we've heard from often sort of speak glowingly of Bennett and why Georgia coaches often do often do the same thing is because they do see an established credibility with Bennett because of, and Smart used this word a moment ago, because of what he has earned. That given the chance to take the quarterback job a year ago, he took it. And once he took it, he ran with it and led Georgia in part to a national championship. And behind the scenes, the Georgia players, because they were at practice every single day, the Georgia coaches, because they were with Bennett all the time, they saw what he earned for himself. And that established, to use Smart's word again, a level of credibility. And if you're outside the program, kind of sort of outside the boundaries of that, you may not fully uh, understand the degree to which that's true, but inside the program, I think they get that. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because of something that Matt Corral said yesterday, or at least I saw it yesterday. I believe it was uh, spoken yesterday. Corral trying to make his way into the NFL and trying to potentially earn you know, a starting job, earn a chance to be a quarterback in this league, 
talked about some regrets. And I think most people are kind of taking this as a little bit of a regret of choosing to go to Ole Miss. And maybe that's true. Maybe it is. We'll probably get into that at some point in time. But in light of what Kirby Smart just said there, I want you to listen to a quarterback who was very successful in the SEC a year ago and and, and had a very good career uh, at Ole Miss in general, but maybe feeling like he didn't get a chance to earn some of what a guy like Stetson Bennett got a chance to earn at a place like Georgia. This is pretty fascinating from Matt Corral uh, now in the NFL. Take a listen to this. You know, I'm going to take us back to where where I decided to go to college. Um, I took the easy way because I, I felt like I could play right away, right? And knowing what I know now and trusting my instinct and trusting my my work, my work ethic, you know, I would have went to a place that would have made me compete. Mm-hmm. So um, with, with that being said, you know, who does it? Like the best of the best, they want competition. And I think for this room, it's, it's, it's going to be a great com- uh, competition because, you know, we're all competitors in that room and we all – and we're all going to make um, we all understand, you know, what the job is to get done and we're going to do it. All of this, I think, leads to a very simple point. And Mac Rowell kind of insinuates this. Kirby Smart more than insinuates it. Competition breeds credibility. There is a credibility earned on the other side of competing that you simply can't get any other way. And Matt Corral says, hey, I was basically given the job at Ole Miss, and I put up a lot of empty numbers, and we won some hollow games. But now I'm in the NFL, and I'm left to wonder, well, how good am I really? Or people are left to wonder about that about me because I didn't go out and earn something at a place like Georgia. And he doesn't say this, but I'm going to add this to the sentence in a way that a guy like Setson Bennett had to last year competing against JT Daniels or guys like Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, Gunnar Stockton will one day do in the future. The Kirby Smart harps on competition, competition, competition. And when Matt Corral kind of laments the fact that he didn't have that, I do think it becomes easier to understand why Kirby is as big on competing as he is and why so many Georgia players are thankful for their time at UGA because of the kind of men it made them by enduring the competition they went through while they were at UGA. Fascinating fascinating stuff from Matt Corral, not about Georgia, but certainly shining a light on why Georgia does the things that it does. That is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management here today. And turning our attention now back fully to the Georgia Bulldogs, a lot going on for the dogs as they get ready to begin practice now in just a few days for the latest on all of that and a whole lot more. Let's get ready to talk to Mike Griffith here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, so to Mike Griffith here, DogNation.com, presented by Breda Pest Management. And, uh, Mike, I was playing the audio a moment ago from uh, Matt Corral. I don't know if you had a chance to hear that. I'm assuming you probably did. But kind of regretting the fact that he wasn't more a part of competition while in college that it sounds like he thinks that he chose Ole Miss because it was the easy route to him for playing time and now being forced to compete in the NFL uh, almost wishes he'd done more of that in college to sort of prove what he's all about. I mean, to me, this is a pretty interesting, I guess, uh, description for why Kirby does the things that he does, whether it be quarterback or other spots there as well, that there is a credibility earned through competition that you almost can't get any other way. And as Georgia gets ready to start practice and you have a lot of competition going on in a lot of different position groups, I think it's an important to, to reconsider all of that as Georgia gets ready to do its thing here in 2022. Would you agree? 
competition everywhere. Um, you know, I think Matt Corral dealt himself out of the competition in USC with, with some high school stuff that, that led to, you know, him and USC parting. So I, I don't, I don't know how much that stock I put in Matt Corral. I think the guy's kind of a head case, to be honest with you, you know, and, and for every guy that doesn't have an opportunity to be the guy, um, I guarantee you there's quarterbacks that say, man, I wish I wouldn't have got screwed over by that school. Um, they told me I was going to be the guy and they let somebody else be the guy. So, I'm not going to look for too much wisdom. I, I hear what now to your point. I think it does lead to the discussion about Georgia and how I've told people over and over that they don't worry about the next game because they're just worried about keeping their job at most positions. Now, quarterback's not like that with Todd Monken. They, they pick their guy. Stetson's the guy. Stetson was the guy after last year. There's no real competition. The competition is showing up and being good every day and keeping your job and staying healthy. But the way Georgia does it, they give the majority of the reps to the one. It's like an NFL system, right? You think Aaron Rodgers has competition at Green Bay? Theoretically, yes. Realistically, no. And it's kind of like that at Georgia. They get their ones ready. Their one is ready. And then the rest, the, the there's very paltry number one reps left. So it's not like let's go out and see who's best every day. But it is everybody stay ready. Everybody stay on your game. Now, at other positions, they'll switch out reps with the ones and the twos. But quarterback's obviously different. I mean, the timing is so different. It's so important to have um, the reps, uh, to, to have that relationship with the receivers. And, uh, and to me, that's part of what made last year so miraculous was that Georgia midstream, when JT got injured and Stetson assumed the job again, um, they were able to flip their offense and maintain their efficiency to the point of winning a national championship. That was remarkable to me. I don't want to do the whole Bennett thing because obviously we've done plenty of that. But, you know, isn't it true to say that instead of saying there is no competition quarterback, it's just simply a competition that's concluded. Bennett has won it, and that's why he's the starter, and that's why he's getting the number one reps. There was a competition, and Bennett just won it. Well, he lost it, and then he won it. You know, he, you know, he got it, you know, if you think about it, it's interesting. So, you know, he came back in 2019 to be Jake Fromm's backup. In 2020, Dwan Mathis won it. He was the starter. Stetson came in when Dwan struggled, and Stetson did really job really well and kept the job until he was injured. And then JT was the guy, and JT was the guy until he was injured. And then Stetson did really well, and he kept it. it it's kind of interesting. The only real competition I think I've seen um, for the Georgia quarterback job is when it was Jay Crom versus Justin Fields at the start of 2018. And it and, and quite frankly. How much of a competition was that? You had a guy who had an entire year who had played in a national championship game against a true freshman coming in trying to absorb a playbook. That's that's the only real time. Otherwise, it's kind of been, you know, I guess Dwan Mathis was the starter at the beginning of 20. He won the competition. But when he, when he didn't do well, Stetson assumed it, and it's his job until it's not. And then he gets injured, and it's JT, and it's JT's job till he's not. Right. And, and Kirby will tell you, Stetson came in and did a really good job. And there was really no reason to make the change back in Kirby's opinion. And obviously they won the national championship. So um, that worked out really well. But when I think of competition, B.A., what, I'm, what I mean by that is two guys that get equal reps that are being evaluated on a daily basis. Like, like for example, I think in the secondary this year, I think there's competition for the starting cornerback job opposite of Keely Ringo. I think that the reps are split relatively even, and I think on a daily basis, guys are fighting to see who's going to be that guy, right? I think that's more a competition 
Um, but Georgia, you know, the, the way you compete is what you do in the off season, how prepared you are, how well you play. But when we think of competition, it's like it's not like three guys taking turns and then we're going to pick who the best guy is. That's not how Munkin does it. He gives the majority of the reps to the one, and that's why they look so good. And, and, and Stetson's earned the right to have the majority of the reps and to have the entire offseason as the number one. And I think it'll make them that much better this year. Speaking of topics we've gone round and round on, uh, obviously Georgia Florida has been back in the news a lot post-SEC media days. This has been a hot topic for you for a, for a long time. And, you know, it, I guess what's interesting for me about this, Mike, from a procedural standpoint is, is that, you know, in 2021, when Kirby spoke about this, like the one time I can remember him doing that, he had kind of softened his stance on this a little bit. You know, it was like, well, you know, he was asked about moving the game and he kind of referenced the fact that it's complicated. And we played the audio uh, last week that there was a little bit more of a politically correct style answer. And this year, given a chance to talk more about this in the SEC network, he was taking a much more hardline stance on moving that game. I don't know if it's just being emboldened because Georgia won the national championship or what, but year over year, and we've known for a long time that Smart wants to move the game. Uh, that's not been the, uh, the the biggest secret in the world. But year over year, it certainly seems like he's being a little bit more forceful in his attempt to argue for that as he was last week on TV at the SEC uh, media days. And we certainly know how much you agree with that. Well, he heard you say that if Kirby Smart won the national championship, he could do whatever he wanted. He must he must have been watching our cover for that night when he said that, Brandon. So I think that's why. No, I think, uh, <laughs> I think Tebow... Tebow, I think Tebow cornered him. I, I, Tebow called him out, and I think, you know, as, as Connor or I or you or, you know, don't be careful. Like I tell people, you know, if you know, don't put your hand through the bars of the cage. He bites, right? And Tebow kind of cornered Kirby on this. In fact, he said, "I've got a bone to pick with you." I don't know many people that walk up to Kirby Smart and say that, but sure. if anybody can, it's, it's the legend Kim Tebow. And Kirby said, "Look, you know, have you ever played in a game in Athens?" Because what everybody's missing here, it's not that it's not that people hate Jacksonville. That's not it at all. It's just that Sanford Stadium rocks. I mean, the Notre Dame game—that's Florida every other year. If you know, and I think, I think a couple of things uh, are are at work here. One, I don't think anybody can really make a decision right now because we don't even know what the schedule model is going to be. And I think it's going to be very important, Brandon. I'm going to post a story today on the three ways that Georgia's. Uh, could play Florida in Sanford Stadium in 2024. And I don't mind sharing with you some of that knowledge here. One is, you know, that Jacksonville Stadium needs renovation. It's, it's not a good stadium. It really isn't. I mean, it looks pretty with everybody in it, but the Jaguars are like, yeah, you need to fix this. So it's going to go into renovation at some point. Could that maybe lead to the game having to, perhaps a nine game schedule could open the door for that? You know, maybe you get into a three-game, you know, rotation, right, between Georgia, Gainesville, and uh, Jacksonville. I don't know, just about just a thought. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm sure Josh Brooks has thought of everything by now. By the way, um, he's on top of this. And then three, Georgia just decides. You know what? We don't want to put our coach at a disadvantage. We are paying him now. He is now the highest-paid coach in the country, and we are going to give him every opportunity to, to be on a level playing field with Nick Saban. And you're not going to buy us off anymore. You're not going to buy off Georgia in their intentions of winning a national championship. You're not going to buy them off and make them, um, you know, put them at a competitive disadvantage. I understand the Jacksonville mayor, you know, and the mayor says, hey, look, I understand Kirby Smart wants a coach. He's got a job. He's trying to win games. But, but this is, we got to do what's best for Jacksonville. 
okay, well, you do what's best for Jacksonville, and Georgia's going to do what's best for Georgia. And, and I think Jerry Moorhead, now that he's in, more involved, and I, I, don't think he's, I don't think he's like not knowing what's going on, but he's got skin in the game. Like he is now on the NCAA board of executors and, and NCAA board of directors, and he sees what Kirby's up against with this NIL. This is a new world. This NIL, we've talked about it. We, we don't like it, but NIL and one, Georgia's not in it. This is a disadvantage for Georgia. I'm not. I don't think Georgia's. You know, the, the poor. I, I know they're not like 25th in the country. When, but but I don't think they're in the top five. I think there's. I could name five schools that I think have more money. And I think now that Jerry Moorhead has skin in the game and is more involved, I think he sees the value. So those are some thoughts on why the game wouldn't. You know, the argument to keep it in Jacksonville is tradition and money and not much else. Indeed. Uh, one of those things certainly is a conversation that's not going to go away uh, anytime soon, I don't think. Uh, another conversation that's getting ready to start is Georgia in practices. Uh, that's just right around the corner here as the month of August begins. And, Mike, one of the things I talked about yesterday was when I think about Georgia for the upcoming season, I sort of think about – the the number 40 in a couple of different respects kind of a 40 40 club type thing for uga uh if, if georgia's going to be as good this upcoming season as it can be back in that national championship conversation i think it's got to find a way to exceed 40 sacks for the season uh, and i think it's got to find a way to score 40 points per game at least on the wow. offensive side of the ball and you know that to me is the recipe for kind of how you're back in that conversation which to me puts a big spotlight on what's going to happen with the front seven as our buddy bill conley from espn wrote about of you know, you know, replacing guys like Trayvon Walker, replacing guys like Jordan Davis, all the stuff we've been discussing all the offseason. But the other thing on the offensive side of the ball is, you know, can you find a way to cultivate that great offensive line? Can you unlock the 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 production of the Georgia running game this year and match the upgrade in the passing attack that you got last year with a little bit more explosive version of the Georgia running game there as well? And if, if if that ends up being the formula here, if that ends up being the recipe, I think you're talking about a, a, a really a pretty good Georgia team for the upcoming season. And I think we get a glimpse of some of that kind of stuff as practice gets ready to begin. Where's your mindset around UGA here just before the start of these summer practices that will lead us into the 2022 season? Yeah, I'm drinking more of the Kool-Aid. I'm, I'm, I'm more bullish on Georgia than, than I was earlier this summer. Um, I, feel, I feel stronger about the run game specifically in the past game. Um, you know, I, I was impressed with Stetson at SEC Media Days. I, I enjoyed talking with him and, and hearing his outlook on the season. Uh, seemed like a lot more settled guy than the last time we saw him in the spring. Um, I felt like just, you, you know, there's just there's a nice air about him and you really start talking and thinking about the, you know, 14 personnel, maybe a four tight ends, splitting out Eric Gilbert and Brock Bowers and just and asking, how in the world does anybody stop that? And, and, oh, by the way, Kendall Milton or Kenny McIntosh is coming out of the backfield. And as I've told you, I think that's going to be an improvement on last year even. I like this offensive line a lot. I mean, I think it's really special. Um, and obviously Stetson going in is the guy. Never really gone into a season is the guy. He's, he's kind of been a career backup going into every season. He's never started. Now he gets to be the starter and have the whole off season and, and with Todd Munkin and the receivers. And you just got to think, that he's going to be even more in sync. You got to think the decision making will be better. The timing will be better. Um, I think, you know, he's got to, you know, he made good throws last year, but he'll be in his second year working with a lot of these young guys. Like AD Mitchell was just a freshman last year. 
I mean, how much better is that going to be in the second year for A.D. Mitchell, right? That's mm-hmm. that's exciting to me and Lad McConkey. So I'm, I'm bullish on Georgia. I'm going to add 40 yards per net punt. Um, because Jake Camarda to me was kind of a, a pretty big weapon that we just we, we kind of overlook and I don't know much about the uh, the Aussie punter yet. Um, that's going to be key that he comes through and, and does an awesome job. Which there's no reason to think he won't, but it's an unknown commodity. What does he do under the lights, right? And you hope it's not uh, shades of Michigan, Michigan State, 2015 or whatever that was. Then you've got that Australian part because their instinct, well, this, I won't go down that road. So the punting game, so 40. And I'm going to give you a goal of 40 minutes time of possession per game. I know they're usually around 36 when they're really good. But um, I think this this Georgia offense, though, Brandon, I, I'm with you. I, there's so many weapons and there's so many ways they can go at it. And even though the defense is young, they're very talented. And so I've got confidence in them as well, but um, maybe not quite as much as last year. Mike, good stuff. We'll look forward to reading a whole lot more from you there at dognation.com. I know we're getting closer to the start of practices, and that means a lot of practice reports, things like that. Always love this time of year and can't wait for more of that. And we'll look forward to speaking to you back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management again very soon. Thanks, B.A. Have a good one. You too. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. In listening to Mike right there, I think one difference of opinion that he and I have is I think he speaks with a lot more confidence about what the Georgia offensive line will be for this upcoming season than I do. When I talk about, hey, what Georgia has a chance to do, and you've heard me say this now a million times, that the upgrade for Georgia offensively is a chance to unlock more potential in the rushing game, that that last couple of years georgia just hasn't quite had enough 10 and 20 plus yard runs and i think some of that's on the offensive line now a lot of that's on running backs kind of once you open that initial hole but in terms of creating a more explosive rushing attack you know can this be a great offensive line i would say it certainly could but i'm not willing to stipulate with authority right now at the end of uh, july here that it definitely will be that's just not a level of confidence i have mike said a moment ago that he thinks it's a special offensive line maybe that's the case and there have been moments in Georgia history we were pleasantly surprised. I think the 2017 offensive line, for instance, went on to be a special offensive line when really no one was predicting they would be that uh, at the beginning of the season. But conversely, even with all the draft picks, I don't quite know that the 2019 offensive line ended up being quite as good as it was supposed to be. Sometimes these things just sort of have a little bit of a, a mystery and intrigue to them. So offensive line is a big question for me. I, I don't know that Georgia got elite play from its guards last year. It was fine. It was good. But I don't know that it got elite play in the interior of the offensive line. And I've told you a million times before that I think the Georgia offensive line as a group last year was probably good, not great. Cedric Von Prong Granger said back in the spring they have a chip on their shoulder because they want to be recognized as the best and win the Joe Moore Award. And he may very well lead them in that direction. But that's going to, I believe, require an upgrade over where Georgia played this last, you know, this previous year, which, you know, Broderick Jones sliding in at left tackle gives you a chance to do. If that means that, you know, all of a sudden you're talking about a return of a healthy Tate Ratledge, that gives you a chance of that. There are certainly no limit to the chances that Georgia has to kind of put some component pieces together that give you an elite five. But, and I'm sure we'll do this discussion at some point, but do I put the Georgia offensive line in the given category to begin this upcoming season? I do not. I do not. I put it in the category of a group that has enormous potential, but it is not a sure thing. And the idea of Georgia taking that step forward, you know, they've had dramatic year-over-year improvement in each of Todd Munkin's first two years as offensive coordinator. Now going into year three, do you take that 
additional leap forward here in the 2022 season. A lot of that depends on how good Stacy Searles can make this offensive line and how well Todd Munkin can use that offensive line uh, in combination with his play calling acumen. That's what a lot of this becomes about for Georgia this upcoming year. I do believe they're going to have to find a way to kind of get into that 40s, you know, 42 points per game, you know, 40 plus points per game at, at least. That's the next step for Georgia and great play from the offensive line, I believe, is the pathway towards how you get there. Uh, we'll have more SEC news coming up in a moment. Let me remind you, though, that we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. If you're watching on video, you see me wearing my Dog Nation Cruise T-shirt today. A great reminder of what a great time it was for us back in April. We were sailing on Independence of the Seas. And guess what? You can have your own experience on board Independence of the Seas there as well as it sails out of Port Canaveral and it goes on those three or four night Bahamas sailings. I think this is really cool because, you know, these three and four night itineraries, they typically include a stopover in Nassau, which is a really fun place to visit. Had a great snorkeling trip the last time I was in Nassau. Always really enjoy that. When I was also there in April, one of the cool things I did was I actually stayed on the ship for part of the time and just kind of set up there on the pool deck. And you got the beautiful Nassau Harbor. You can see a lot of the resorts in the background, the city in the background. Just kind of stood there and I kind of hung out. I've done a lot of uh, traveling in Nassau. So I just sort of, sort of sat there, sat in my pool chair and kind of got the lay of the land and appreciated the scenery and the view for a while. I think Nassau is a fun place to visit. Perfect day, Coke okay. You know I love you know I love that. Probably as much fun of a one-day stopover you could ever have anywhere. And then with the four-night sailing, you also get the sea day included on that. It's an additional day to enjoy all the amenities on board the uh, the ship, whether it be Independence of the Seas or Mariner of the Seas or one of those uh, uh, ships that takes you on the three, the four-night cruises. Uh, it's just a great experience. And so that's an easy getaway for many of you. And you know, it doesn't require too much time out of your schedule so my invitation to you is to reach out to our friends the cruise and vacation authority and let them get you going on a great three or four night sailing on board a great royal caribbean cruise ship in fact i believe upcoming they've even got some of the oasis class ships are going to be doing some short sailings as well so that's a cool opportunity to experience the biggest that royal caribbean has to offer on a little bit shorter itinerary than we're used to seeing some of these really big cruise ships do before so all the more reason to reach out to the cruise and vacation authority you can call them 770-952-8300 or you can reach out online, tcava.com. Now, the uh, music has run out, so let me see if I can quickly roll through some SEC, uh, see-through stuff here for a moment. So I talked off the top of the show about the Chris Lowe piece, ESPN.com, looking at schedule superlatives, and it's one of my favorite things to do of all. I could just sit and look at college football schedule. I don't really know why. Sometimes I'll just kill an hour just looking at team schedules. I just think they're fascinating. Because the thing that fascinates me the most is the way in which games are clustered. You know, for the most part, conference schedules are relatively similar, but the order in which you play the games really matters. That's why we've mentioned several times the fact that Georgia in November going to Mississippi State, then Kentucky, that sets up as as challenging a stretch as Georgia will face in the upcoming season. you got to pay attention to that. But here's the other thing that I notice when you look at Chris Lowe's piece at ESPN.com, and it's just like this each and every year. You start mentioning toughest schedules in the country. Teams like Auburn always come up because they play the West plus Georgia. It seems like for whatever reason, Arkansas is always on there. I think Sam Pittman kind of half-jokingly said it at CZ Media Days last week when they scheduled Cincinnati. They had no idea that Cincinnati was going to turn out to be as good as they've turned out to be. But that's another example of a very tough you know, non-conference game added to the SEC West slate that Arkansas always plays. And really on and on you could go when you're measuring the toughest schedules in the country, as a guy like Chris Lowe is doing at ESPN.com. It is SEC schedules that are going to be at the top of that. And 
this has kind of always been true. And when I think about like the conundrum that college football has found itself in, the lack of cooperation between the various conferences in terms of what the future of playoff expansion is going to look like, by the way, we've even heard talk now of a 16-team expanded playoff that seems to have come alive here. But the notion that as you move forward that the various conference entities have a hard time cooperating with each other, I think one of the things, and don't discount this, I think one of the things that's made that that cooperation more difficult to, to come by is the fact that there is just a disingenuous way in which college football is often discussed. It happens in the preseason. It happens when the college football playoff selection committee starts making their early top 25s around October or so. That there's this attempt to pretend like all the leagues are equal. Well, now we're told from a monetary standpoint, well, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten, they pulled way out in front of everybody else. Well, guess what? The SEC has been way out in front of the rest of college football for a long time. But good luck getting anyone to be honest about that prior to this year. You know, the SEC teams are always playing the toughest schedules. The SEC teams are always the most uh, sort of battle tested by the end of the year. They are always the teams in which earn their way into the playoff by traveling a much more rigorous path than anyone else is traveling. It sounds like an SEC homer type thing to say that. And there's a degree to which you're sort of treated like a low class, second class citizen for arguing in favor of your conference there that much. It makes you seem like you're not, you know, erudite and sophisticated like the fancy people. But this is undeniably self-evidently true. And the Chris Lopez at ESPN.com just uh, shines the light on that even more. So when you think about like the loggerheads that college ball kind of finds itself in, frustration on the part of the SEC with how, you know, they're kind of, you know, dealing with the other leagues, don't discount this role in all of this. The college football desperately wants to be a national sport. And from a financial incentive standpoint, it's easy to understand why it would. But in its desperation to appear national, it has artificially elevated conferences like the Big 12 and the Pac-12, much of the ACC, and even at times the big bad Big 10 with all its you know TV deals, that there's this artificial elevation of these other leagues pretending that they play on the same plane as the SEC when year after year we have undeniable evidence that just simply isn't true. The Chris Lowe piece at ESPN.com, the latest example of that. My apologies to our producer, Connor Riley, for skipping over the initial uh, story for the SEC. I'm kind of going out of order here. It is Caleb Downs Day. I think this is actually my subconscious speaking to me that the Downs thing is just so not worth talking about from Georgia's standpoint that I uh, overlooked it on the uh, rundown. Uh, He is probably going to commit to Alabama today. That seems to be the thought. If it was in Alabama in some sort of shocking fashion, I guess the next smart money would likely be on Ohio State. I don't quite know why this has not really gone the way of Georgia, but it just sort of has never really gone the way of Georgia. I am aware of some of the social media stuff where it seems like, to be frank, even uh, uh, Down's father has at times maybe had, you know, some less than glowing things for UG on social media. It seems like I don't know what all that's about. Uh, I do believe that Caleb Downs is an outstanding player. I think it would be great to pair Downs and Aguero as two elite safeties together. Janelle Aguero committed to Georgia this past Saturday. Georgia clearly wants Downs in addition to uh, Janelle Aguero. But another example here of apparently you just can't get everyone. This is not me spoiling anybody's announcement because I have no inside information. I just simply have the internet and the internet says that Downs is not going to Georgia and I have no reason to uh, argue with that. Two quick final things here. Uh, Speaking of ESPN.com, David Purdom had an interesting story uh, this week interviewing one of the bookmakers out in Las Vegas. And what the bookmaker guy said is, this is one of those things, maybe just sort of file this away, that um, 
that betters have been backing LSU in Las Vegas a bit, betting their national championship odds down from at one point like 70 to one uh, down to about 55 to one. Now, take this with a grain of salt, because LSU, you know, there's like Las Vegas power ratings and you can go online, you can read these. LSU has been in the Las Vegas power rating top 10 for like 100 years in a row. And like in years like 2020, uh, they almost have more losses than their like rating and like the Vegas power rating. Like, like no matter how many games they lose, they never seem to drop out of like the Vegas power rating top 10 because they have a lot of talent and talent makes you dangerous from a betting perspective, playing closer than you're uh, supposed to, things like that. So, Vegas has kind of always loved LSU a little bit, but the fact that they seemingly are taking some action on LSU right now, even if you're not a better, this is still worth filing away a little bit in terms of a team that can make the, some noise. What we've said here before is between, and I'm going to include Auburn in this for now, between Auburn, A&M, LSU, and Florida, that's four teams with relatively high level of talent. They all kind of exceed the 50% threshold of Bud Elliott from 24-7 Sports blue chip ratio, more four- and five-star recruits than not. Of all those teams, if one of them truly has a quarterback, that could be a team that has become pretty dangerous, right? If Jaden Daniels or Miles Brennan is a good quarterback, then LSU with about two-thirds of its roster being former four- and five-star recruits, they could be dangerous. I don't believe Daniels or Brennan either one are very good, so I'm not that concerned about that, but that could be true. If Max Johnson or Haynes King or the freshman they brought in, if that guy is good for A&M, then A&M really has a chance to be dangerous, but we've seen A&M struggle with the quarterback position. There's a reason why some people are hesitant about that. Anthony Richardson, you all know I don't like praising Florida, but another example here of I think Dan Mullen's biggest era error in his era as Florida coach was a lack of faith in Richardson, who I believe was clearly the better quarterback compared to Emory Jones. That's been Billy Napier's, I think, smartest move since becoming Florida coach is to fully embrace Anthony Richardson. If Richardson's good, then Florida could be a slightly surprised team. Uh, that's worth considering. And Auburn, who probably has the hardest time of finding a good quarterback between Zach Calzada and TJ Finley and maybe a little bit of Robbie Ashford, uh, also the weakest roster of the teams I've mentioned overall. But once again, they aren't so talent deficient, they couldn't be a quarterback away from being much more dangerous. So why does Vegas like LSU a bit? Uh, maybe that's possibly the reason why. I was going to do something on Tennessee and the NCAA stuff. Uh, the truth is we probably should have mentioned this yesterday and just didn't. I also am just not in the mood to do it right now either. Um, we're kind of long into the show here a little bit. So what do you say we kind of wrap up that version of cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean we'll come back we'll talk more about the ncaa stuff as it relates to tennessee tomorrow because we really haven't hit that as well as we possibly could but while i don't enjoy hitting that or at least i'm putting it off one thing i never put off hitting is a great uh ice cold can of the finish long drink i love holding one of these cold cans in my hand because it's like the kind of delicious cocktail a bartender could make for you um and it just ready to drink right there in a the can it's awesome to be able to do so please make sure you try some a lot of you have in fact we're going to celebrate some of that later on this week we do our big finish 
brought to you by the uh, finished long drink but if you haven't go ahead and get involved the longdrink.com there are four different varieties there's the blue can which is like a grapefruit flavor to go along with the gin kick there's the long drink strong that's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume i know some of y'all like that a long drink cranberry that's delicious everybody in my neighborhood uh, seems to enjoy that that's always a big hit when we come up to the pool there for all of that so the longdrink.com you can enjoy some it's a cool story kind of started in finland back in the 1950s when the summer games were in helsinki now it's basically everywhere including right here in georgia so the longdrink.com for a lot more on where you can pick up some and enjoy some and when you do try some hit me up let me know hmu as the kids like to say and we'll celebrate you as part of our big finish later on this week there uh, on dog nation daily also one more thing before we sign off today there is still time and if you haven't done this yet you need to nominate a child in your life to be our kroger five-star kid courtesy of uh, of kroger <laughs> a little redundant there but you get the point it's our kroger five-star kid and we did this before the start of the school year last year it's super fun and it's going to be a great uh, thing this year we're already getting some tremendous stories and we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to take these nominations you can just send yours info at dognation.com give us your child's name it can be a child that you know as well it doesn't have to be your own you know uh, offspring but it can be uh, a child that you know your own child tell us why they should be our Kroger Dog Nation five-star kid. And we're going to take submissions through the end of this week. And then starting the week of August 1st, we're going to draw five winners at random and then announce those winners right here on the show. And boy, what an amazing collection of gifts you get for being the winner. First of all, it's a collection of gift cards worth $250, including a really nice gift card from Kroger. Also a Kroger Dog Nation five-star kids t-shirt. So it's an incredible giveaway. Uh, you can go to dognation.com and find out more details. But honestly, just go ahead and send your, in your submission, your nomination, info at dognation.com. That's the email address, info at dognation.com. And nominate a child that you know to be our Kroger Dog Nation five-star kid. And maybe you can be one of our winners and we'll start announcing that the week of August the 1st. All right, so that's uh, fun stuff. And what's also fun there as well is to give out a golden shoe. Now, I'll say this. Our golden shoe submissions lately have been really good, so much so that I'm actually a little bit behind. You can sort of tell that the season's almost here again because we have definitely picked up, uh, as Jim Ross would say, business is starting to pick up here when it comes to some really good golden shoe submissions. Let me show you one for today. I really enjoy this. And this is one of those. It's almost like a, a double golden shoe, maybe even a triple golden shoe. Georgia on tap shares this from our good friend uh, Allie on Twitter, who shares DeAndre Walker's own uh, social media post of a beautiful uh, baby, a uh, brand new baby resting on top of a Georgia football. What an amazing baby photo there from DeAndre Walker. Obviously, UJ fans happy to see his family growing there. Gorgeous photo. Well done indeed. Allie, thanks for sharing that. George on tap, thanks for sharing that with me. And uh, congratulations to all involved for a really fun golden shoe there. Lousy, stinking gators. There are a lot of children being born to some gator families that have no memory of Florida ever being good at all, which is kind of nice to think about. 4,948 days since they have won a national championship. And gator hater countdown in Jacksonville for now. And you better believe we're going to enjoy every second of that cocktail party as long as it lasts, including 94 days from right now. Y'all have a great day. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management. And on the podcast, time to have the RS Andrews podcast cool down. We'll take some of your comments here on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily and, and dognation.com as well. So we appreciate you always weighing in, including uh, Twisted Caboose on Twitter, who just weighed in to say, have a great day, BA. So I appreciate that. It's always nice to have 
kind words shared, especially on social media. So little of that, it seems, from time to time. So very nice from uh, Twisted Caboose there on that. Uh, Pepin also weighs in at DogNation.com, going back to yesterday's show. He says, first of all, I think that a lot of the feigned harumphing over how dare they say our defense will be bad in 2022 needs to end. No one is saying UGA's defense will be bad in 2022. People are simply saying that Georgia's defense will make the same uh, drop from season to the, last season to this season that Alabama's offense may have from 2020 to 2021. He says Alabama's offense was great in 2021, but it was record-setting in 2020. The same thing will happen to Georgia in 2022. Their defense will go from record-setting to merely gray. That may be the case. I don't know that that's what everyone, though, is suggesting when they talk about defensive regression from Georgia. I think they're suggesting something larger than that. And listen, I think that Georgia can tolerate a little bit of defensive regression this upcoming season, the same way that you described for Alabama uh, offensively from 2020 to 2021. You can tolerate a little bit and still be fine because of the overall gap between you and most of the teams that you play if you are the dogs. But some of the, to use your word, harumphing that kind of goes on here is there is a benefit of the doubt that a one-time national champion Georgia is not getting the same way that a multi-time national champion Alabama seems to always get, or a team like Ohio State, which has really won very little of consequence since 2014, but kind of a, a consistent sort of playoff-level team, they seem to be getting an extra benefit of the doubt that Georgia's not really getting. Now, on the one hand, this seems like somewhat com- common sense, that Georgia sort of broke through a barrier last year that it hadn't broke through in a long time and it may seem just natural and logical on the part of some in the media to say well let's see if this lasts and I can understand why some might wonder that but on the other hand to some Georgia fans this feels like a moving of the goalposts you know the chatter around Georgia before last season was well if Georgia doesn't win a national championship when will they ever this is their best chance to do it and the program's going to falter and flop if they don't do it this year or kind of coming up with all the reasons that Georgia had fallen short in previous years as a explanation for why Georgia would also do that in 2021. But when that didn't happen, when Georgia did break through, it almost seems like the goalposts have now been moved on Georgia of, yeah, you proved it last year, but if you want to really convince us, you've got to come back and prove it again here this year. That just seems to be a little bit of a uh, of a false goal, a moving of the goalposts, as I said, for Georgia. And that's why some Georgia fans get a little bit frustrated in that from from time to time. I mean, the point I have made on this, and I guess my most sort of sensible retort to all of this is, if you took the 2021 season off the table, if you waved a magic wand and made it so that it never happened, it literally just disintegrated, the Georgia defense on paper right now going into the season, I believe, is far better than any defense on paper to begin a season that Kirby Smart has had. Now, will the end-of-season results end up being as good? We'll obviously have to find that out. But Georgia is very commonly assumed to have a future first-round pick in its defensive line in Jalen Carter, a future first-round pick among its defensive backs and cornerback Keely Ringo, a possible first-round pick in Nolan Smith, and there's obviously more, but I'll just leave it at that right now. That's three relatively common, and in some cases, Carter and Ringo, essentially unanimous projected first-round picks. There aren't many Georgia defenses in the smart era other than maybe 2021, but there aren't many Georgia defenses in the smart era who could say the same thing at the beginning of a season. 
So the issue for me is not how does Georgia's defense compare this season to the last season. The job of the Georgia defense isn't to be as good as it was in 2021. The job is to be as good as it needs to be in 2022. And based on the personnel that's in place, I think it's certainly possible that Georgia has more than enough to do just that. But it's a very interesting comment, and I appreciate you being a part of our conversation here today. And I invite all of you to do the same thing. The podcast cooldown always made more fun by your feedback, your insight, your interaction. And I appreciate that. So hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or simply write your comment in the comment section of dognation.com. That means if you listen on Apple or Spotify or something else, what you might want to do is just go to dognation.com while you're there and look for the post that says Georgia Football Podcast. That's the way in which you get into this comment section that I'm reading from there at dognation.com. So I'd invite you to do that and be a part of that. And as I said, it's always more fun here on the cool down when you do just that. We also appreciate R.S. Andrews for making it possible. You can find them online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Water heater goes out. In many cases, they can replace it for you the same day. So find them online at rsandrews.com. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We'll look forward to talking to you then.